0: Welcome to Horse to Culture, a digital salon hosted by the known world courtesans, where we bring you conversations with interesting gentles around the world.
1: The Known World Courtesans are a free confederation of reenactors who have chosen a pre 1600 sex worker as our persona, along with the patrons, bodyguards, and entourage that may accompany us. As courtesans, we educate about historical sex workers and stand in solidarity with modern sex workers against sexism, misogyny, whorephobia, homophobia, transphobia, racism, classism, and all other forms of discrimination.
0: Learn more about our group by visiting knownworldcourtesans.org. Today we have the absolutely enchanting Sayeda Laila Al Sana Al Andalusia from the Crown Province of Ostgard. Oh my goodness, Ostgarther, I think is that? Did I say that? Ostgard. In- it's
1: actually just Ostgard. Just
0: Ostgard. Okay. I I was weird trying to spelling. Do, yeah, I was trying to do something <laughs> and adding the thorn letter in there, but Ostgard of the East Kingdom, Uh, and we're so glad to have you with us. We're enjoying the stars tonight in my lovely Peristilium. My name is Lucretia Lepida, but all of my friends call me Lepida. How are you tonight, my friend?
1: I am delighted to be spending the evening with you in your lovely Peristilium. Is that how I say that? Yeah,
0: (laughs) Peristilium.
1: Peristilium. Ooh, what a great word. Mm, I love it. And
0: it's it's, it's just, you can see it has, it's a beautiful garden with a colonnade, um, and a lovely painted view, of course, because here in Rome, um, the actual view is of the plebs. So we, we we have this... No one wants to see that. No, no one wants to see that. Or my neighbors, who are ghastly or boring, depending on which side. So... Uh, we have this lovely painting, and fountains, and colonnades, and all this lovely blooming flowers, so a perfect compliment to the evening. Um, <coughs> have you been working on anything? Or have any problems I working
1: on I have been. I have so much coming up. I'm the current Queen's Champion, uh, for the East Kingdom Bardic community, and, um, I have a lot of sort of balls in the air right now. I'm coordinating poetry for the entrance and concerts in our recent Crown Tournament, um, and arranging an upcoming comedy bard competition at the Great Northern Thing. Um, but mostly I'm getting ready for Penzick because you know how it is. Penzik takes over your life. And this is my first Penzick. So... I know, right? Because I I spent my first 25 years in the SEA in the Kingdom of Kaid uh, on the West Coast, and it was just so far. Yeah. You really, you have to have a real commitment to get to Penzik from Kaid, and I didn't have the money to do it. So this is my first Pensic, and I'm very excited, and I'm doing probably a lot more than would be recommended for somebody's first (laughs) Pensic. I'm teaching three classes, so please come take my classes. Um, and I also uh, i am arranging a couple of concerts. I'm the artistic director for uh, the East Kingdom's new early opera company, Opera del Est. And we're doing uh, a concert at Pensac on Thursday, August 8th at 5 p.m. So please come out for that. That should be a lot of fun. And I'm also doing a solo concert. Um, of Ladino music, primarily, uh, which is Judeo-Spanish music from before the Jews were kicked out of Spain in 1492. And that concert's going to be Saturday, August 3rd at 7 p.m. Both of those are at the Performing Arts Pavilion. So I'm getting ready for those. And I want to interject uh,
0: super quickly that I have heard you perform. If you're not familiar, listeners, with this kind of music, it is absolutely breathtakingly beautiful. Um, And lila you perform it just absolutely i i was i literally had to like stop in the middle of what i was doing and just listen when i heard you performing um while i was serving um across the way at the uh the the salon at at gulf war this year so and we've had you on the podcast um in one of our previous episodes so listeners if you're curious and you can't make it check it out but if you can you absolutely should go okay
1: oh thank you so much you're
0: so welcome um
1: I'm also planning a big party for Penzic, Which all our listeners are invited to Um, And it's going to be on Sunday, August 4th At the Great Dark Horde Encampment We haven't set the start time, but it will be in the book Whatever start time it is And it's going to be a fabulous uh, party in the style Of the court of Shah Abbas I So there's going to be Middle Eastern dancing and drumming uh, we have a band called Ishtar that's going to be playing, who I hear are fantastic. Oh, that sounds We're going to awesome. have um, some featured performers. I am hoping that I can I can convince some lovely courtesans to come help us out and serve drinks and food. And, and also model, because we're going to be having some live art. There'll be a, a, a an area for live art, and people can come and sit down and draw, or they can just come and watch um, the resident artists that we're going to have there and we're also going to have games and drinks and food and all of that also it's my birthday party so
0: (laughs) that sounds so exciting i hope it's fantastic
1: me too (laughs) i think it's gonna be great i'm really excited and i hope everyone will come out for it um and uh you know just come planning on having a really good time and uh I think it's going to be 18 and over, but obviously they'll be like wristbands if you're 21, so that we make sure we don't serve alcohol to minors. We're very careful about that.
0: Yes. that That's actually something that's very different from when I was in the SCA as a teenager, and it's probably mm-hmm. for the very best that it has changed.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I have Big been... change. I've noticed that, too.
0: Yeah. <coughs> I haven't been doing anything quite that exciting, but... I have been um, testing out a bunch of new makeup recipes, um, different things for eyeliner, mascara, things like that, as I'm branching Ooh. out into more eye makeup um, in Roman, the Roman makeup stuff. Um, oh, I
1: think that's very exciting. It,
0: it, it is exciting. It's like personally exciting. So maybe not. It's yeah. A, it's not as exciting for sharing yet until I have things that are finished. <laughs> At this point, it's like I have a bunch of pastes and none of them do much. But someday (laughs) they will. (laughs) Um, But so that's, that's been fun. And also um, getting into more working with colors and stuff. I've been working on blending like a palette of colors just for myself. Um, And and thinking about like, so historically you would have had a person specifically in your household, your retinue, your entourage, whatever, or yourself, depending on. How much money you had, who would make up your makeup for you, and every single mm-hmm. piece of it would be completely individualized. So, you know, getting to have like my four lipstick slash blush colors and my four eyeliner slash mascara colors and, you know, eight eyeshadows that are just for me is a really like unique experience as far oh, as yeah. makeup. I can imagine telling your your servant or your slave uh oh, make it up a little bit warmer this time. It was too cool mm. to highlight my eyes or something like that um, it, it just seems i don't know it's 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 a really interesting, cool thing to be doing
1: um, oh, I think it's wonderful, so I have to ask you two things okay first of all, do you remember I know this is a little modern, but it relates to what you're talking about. do you remember um uh, Mac used to have pigments that they made available for like f- makeup pigments, or were you never did you never see those?
0: I remember people talking about. I never went into Mac because I knew it was really good makeup and I knew I couldn't afford it. So the uh, the main way I exercise um, control is by avoiding <laughs> avoiding things. <laughs> so I never actually went into a Mac store, but I did hear people talking about.
1: The- They're not that expensive, by the way. There's, Fair. Believe me, there's much more expensive makeup out there. Fair. But- <laughs> Maybe but I no, will I'll- go. I was just thinking about it because I I've got really into the um, the working with the pigments myself for just that reason. Because you have so much control over it. Yeah. So I, I totally understand the appeal of that. I, I, I'm wondering... Um, I, I feel like I've asked you this before, but I, I don't remember what you said. Um, have you ever studied the makeup that they made in India in period? I have touched
0: on it briefly, but I haven't. There's some
1: really neat stuff. Yeah, I haven't
0: delved in super deeply. If you have any sources, um, you know, actually,
1: uh, you're gonna laugh so much. But the best source, the very best source are you for say Indian the Kama makeup, Sitra? yes.
0: I think we did talk about that before. <laughs> yes.
1: The Kama Sutra is your best source okay. for Indian makeup. Okay. There's there's tons of information.
0: I will... So, it, it doesn't actually surprise me that much, and not just because I think we talked about this before, but because um, <laughs> the Art of Love is a really good source for Roman makeup. In book three, mm. Ovid spends a not small amount of time describing everything for women and of course it, being what it is it's for how women can make themselves appealing to men so it's makeup and hairstyles and dyeing your hair and what color clothing right. you should wear and what sexual positions you should use to show off <laughs> your, your figure depending on what figure you have and
1: it does make sense it does it does that, that you would have those things all together because I mean traditionally we do tend to think of makeup in terms of attracting a mate That is sort of its origin point.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, and um, for both genders, when they wear makeup, that's a big part of it. Um, Mm -hmm. Historically, usually, it's been more about the conspicuous display of wealth than decorative. Like, it's still about attracting a mate. But you decorate yourself to show off how much money you have, not... Oh, that's interesting.
1: I was associated jewelry that way, but I didn't know that makeup was also in that vein.
0: Because it's more like it's usually makeup goes with (gasps) perfume and Mm -hmm. perfume is almost entirely just about luxury. It is.
1: Very much so.
0: (laughs) Right. And a lot of your um cosmetic recipes kind of start like Egyptian eyeliners and Egyptian eye colors. I haven't delved into this super a lot, but from what I understand, are blended with perfumed oils, and your hair Very oils are from...
1: Yes! No, I've read about that before. Now that you say it, it's coming back to me. Yeah, It it absolutely was... Mis- they mixed it with... um, uh,
0: Malachite. Musk. Yeah. They had that
1: special musk. It's like... it, it The name is something like oud, but it's not oud. I don't remember what it oh, is. Oh, yeah.
0: Oud is another fragrant thing that is... I've never smelled it, but apparently that is
1: it it's maybe that's what i was thinking of
0: fair well it might be like a lemmy or there's a lot of different like crazy things. yeah but so they blended it with perfume oil and then the perfume oil forms the basis of like hair oil and then the perfume oil and perfume waters and perfume vinegar what would a
1: person with allergies do (laughs) my god Um, The world must have been a very dangerous place to navigate for a person with allergies. Well,
0: yes and no. Like, I think it would be rough because people were really into that stuff. But at the same time, like, it wouldn't be like, okay, if I'm allergic to a paraben, right? It's in Mm -hmm. everything. Right. Because we put parabens in everything. So I can't touch a million things. And like, Yeah, that makes sense. But like, if, if I'm allergic to almonds... Right, like I just go to a different region and there's no olives and right. anything.
1: That's true. I just meant in terms of walking around and everyone's wearing perfume, so you're oh. just smelling, <laughs> smelling the the. I mean, personally, perfumes make me sneeze, which yeah. makes me sad because I love perfume, but, they- but I just. It makes me sneeze. It
0: might, be, it might be a lot of the more modern things that we use in perfume now, uh, also. Yeah, that's true. Because I've made... Although
1: flowers also make me sneeze, Oh, so. uh, well,
0: then that might just be flowers. I've made... Well, and they also used a lot of things in perfumes that we don't... Like, I've made some period perfumes, and I put them on, and people are like, you smell like an Indian takeout. You don't... That's not perfume. <laughs> so, a lot of food smells... That to us are very fascinating food-y. they think that they're they're very i have
1: a perfume desirable. that smells like chocolate see i think it does make me smell scrumptious but it, it's always a little strange to me that i smell like
0: chocolate <laughs> uh, and guys love food smells like when my partner and i first started dating like he would like give me like back rubs and he was forever buying like food smelling lotions and rubbing them all over me
1: <laughs> and
0: like his favorite was lemon cookies
1: I see. My favorite smell is. Uh, I, I, for me, I like, I like the florals. My favorite smell yeah. is actually um, there's a flower that grows in Hawaii that's called pikake. And it's related to um, tuberose, I believe. Oh, okay. Uh, or to jasmine. No, I'm sorry. It's, it's related to jasmine. Although actually, jasmine and tuberose may be related. No, I can't I think remember. They are. It's related to jasmine. But it's, it's a unique scent. And yeah. there's just nothing like it in the world. Um
0: Jasmine is my favorite and it's impossible to reproduce, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, if if you smelled pecake, I bet pecake would become your favorite. Just <laughs> just telling you right now, it's like jasmine but way better.
0: Hard. I believe you. I believe you. There's <laughs> there's um when I used to play werewolf there was this like jasmine hedge that was that grew at near on the way to the bathroom. And every time I'd go to the bathroom it, when it was in bloom, it would take me an extra five minutes. Cause I'd have to stop and just face plant into the blossoms on the way there and on the way back. But <laughs> this has been an amazing tangent. Oh my goodness. I, <laughs> I know it's a it.
1: great I tangent, it. but this is all courtesan related. Oh, I it mean, totally is. What it do totally we do? Is. We dress um, ourselves in beautiful clothes and wear makeup and fragrances. So. It's
0: true. It's very, it's very <laughs> important. I was actually getting into a really interesting discussion with a woman who studies Roman history about how Roman courtesans would do that differently because of all the sumptuary laws, but like, she's like but once you got home, you'd break out all this stuff, and I'm like, that's really crazy because we think about it much more as like a advertising your wares, but you would be a little bit more prim, I think, in public so you didn't go to jail, and then uh, <laughs> well, they didn't have jail so you didn't have to pay fines, and, uh, and then when you got home, you'd be like I'm going to go get perfumed up <laughs> and wear my. Stuff. Uh, see, I,
1: I do a Persian persona, and Persian personas were completely open. Yeah, and they were totally legal. Yeah, so they weren't afraid of any of that.
0: <laughs> well, even a Roman, even a Roman uh, sex worker who is legal would still have sumptuary laws, where they just literally like, they're a, yeah. they're a lot more austere than they're really portrayed in like media. Um, interesting because they really value. not
1: in Persia in Persia yeah. they were the opposite they were like sanctuary laws ah yeah. we're going to break all of them on purpose per-
0: <laughs> I actually that's part of the aesthetic <laughs> about like Persia and, and, and India that I really love is that like add more layers you know like let's just add more gold and more layers it'll be gorgeous and that yeah. luxury and that just indulgent <clears throat> vibe is really it's really sexy I think Um, so, are we drinking tonight? What are we drinking?
1: I am drinking a lovely mead that was crafted by a local Ustgard brewer. That's Um, wonderful. I love mead. Oh, mead is one of my favorite things about the SCA.
0: (laughs) It is. The the booze that you can get in the SCA is really quality. Um, and there are things I never thought I would have liked before that I have tried and been like, this is amazing. So, uh, I have a a Woodchuck hard cider. It's not super exciting. Um,
1: Oh, but I love Woodchuck. It's great.
0: Yeah, it is. It is. But it is one of my favorite things.
1: If you're listening, Woodchuck, you can absolutely get an endorsement from
0: us. You can sponsor our (laughs) podcast anytime. We are so down for that. If you make any kind of Moscato, I I will rep you for the rest of my life.
1: Oh, I love Muscat. It's
0: it's my favorite, and I don't even care. It's to the point now when people give me shit about it. I'm just like, Oh, no, I
1: sat there with you you at Gulf Wars and drank, like, half your bottle of (laughs) Muscat.
0: You did. You did. But you know what? It was fantastic. Like, I was, when I came back and my bottle was mostly gone, I was like, Oh, And I was like, I bet they had a good time. And, And then, like, right when I was getting around to remembering that I didn't have that much wine left for that night, um... Alistair and Samuel like pulled up and they're like we got you something at the store and I'm like what is it <laughs> thinking it's like a candy bar or something and they just pull out another huge jug of wine and I was like you guys are the best and we That's didn't even perfect. finish that one I ended up giving like half of it away at the end of war <laughs> uh, so there, there you go woodchuck or any any maker of Moscato,
1: <laughs> definitely uh, or mead. We're good with meads,
0: oh, too. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> so, uh, we have a new- we have a new patron for the podcast. Um, he is a local baron here in Trimeris, and he has jumped in to support us at the $50 level, and I'm gonna- he- it's- I'm so excited, I'm gonna thank him twice, um, because it's, um- really awesome to know that our message is important and there are people out there who believe in what we're talking about and believe in making sure this thing, this crazy idea I had in the middle of the night, um, continues to exist. So thank you. Um, <laughs> and, uh, do you have any new patrons or new patrons you might be looking I- for?
1: I actually do have a new patron Although I haven't spoken with him About about mentioning his name on the podcast So I'll wait until the next time Um, But I'm also looking for for More new patrons I'm looking for uh, Lords and ladies who don't mind Helping push my wheelchair around events I promise I am a charming conversationalist And a very accomplished entertainer And I will ensure that you have a truly delightful event anytime I am accompanying you. So if you are interested in being my patron, come to my website. We actually have a form for that. (laughs) Oh,
0: that is snazzy. Uh, I I know, right?
1: There's a new patron form. I
0: love it. And I have to actually recommend like your company is sublime. Your entertainment skills, amazing. And you know, so many people. (laughs) <laughs> I
1: do. I can introduce you to everyone.
0: <laughs> That's at least half of um, the 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 part. Like the skill of being a courtesan is knowing the right people to introduce everyone to. Absolutely. I um. It's it's not an official courtesan thing, but I am bringing one of my friends to an event tomorrow night for the first time because uh, I discovered that the world is very small and. Uh, A woman from his temple is having her pelican vigil and she Uh and my friend, my mundane friend is a friend of her son so uh, she, you know, is just like super excited, she's getting her pelican come on, so um, I was like, you gotta come help out carriages
1: are so exciting
0: right, like come help out with the party she'll be so like surprised and stoked that you're there, so he just came over to try on some loner garb today and uh we're gonna go out to the event tomorrow i'm really excited
1: oh that's so much fun i love bringing new people in (coughs) absolutely (coughs) let's just cut out all that coughing
0: right (laughs) so um we had you on before and we talked about the amazing rock star courtesans of persia and india um, Which was fun. It was yes. a fun conversation. <laughs> we had a blast. Um, and that was actually the first time I really got to know you. Um, but it was amazing seeing you at Gulf Wars, getting to know you in person, hearing you sing. Um, but you're back today to talk to us about something that gets, um, like, the idea of it gets tossed around a lot and brought up a lot in different, for different groups about courtesan households.
1: Yes. So... After 25 years in the SCA and having been a founding member of a household in Kaid, um, I, when I moved out to the East, I was really excited to start my own household for the first time. Um, you know, I had all that, all that experience that, that had built up over the years and there were things that I, I'd always thought about how I would run a household if I were doing it myself. So, uh, the way that my partners and I decided to build this household was um, to center it on a very, very specific time and place. Um, our, in our household, it is always fifteen ninety dollars There's a special magical property. <laughs> When you get to the House of the Lotus, it becomes 1599 and every year on January 1st it is 1599 all over again. It's like a groundhog day year. Do you
0: do you have like New Year's parties? Well, we will. Okay, I was going to say you should cuz that Yeah, no, we, we will. Just have one, just make a 1599 banner. You never have to make a new one.
1: I wrote a blog entry called Party Like It's 1599 at the New Year.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. That See, I, I'm working on figuring out my magic date. I have it narrowed down to like a 10-year range. Well, for my uh, Welsh persona, for my Roman persona, I have it narrowed down to a 100-year range. So, I'm working on it. Well, see,
1: I sort of did a cheater thing. Okay. Because, because we have this magical property for our household. Yeah. Um... M- my persona story actually starts much earlier. Okay. And it, it, if there weren't a magical property, I think I would be in 1520 or something. Okay. Um, oh, wait, not even that. I'd be in like 1505. Because my persona is born in
0: 1476.
1: Okay. Um, and... Is 16 in 1492 When the uh, Expulsion of the Jews happens And when, when Granada is lost Because my, my whole persona story is built around Being from, uh, from The last bastion of Islamic Spain And then fleeing to Persia After, uh, after The Islamic rulership uh, Lost to Ferdinand and Isabella in 1492. Okay. So that's sort of what I built my persona story around. But then when I started getting into the research for the household, it became very clear very quickly that most of the information we have about courtesans is very late Mm -hmm. in Persia. And 1599 was about as early as we could get where I still had a really, like, a pretty good grip on what was going on, Mm -hmm. um, where there was a a fair amount of information. And also, it's sort of... I would say that the Persian Renaissance started in 1590. Okay. uh, When Shah Abbas I took the throne. Prior to that, they were in a period of transition. So if we had based the household in 1510, say, Mm -hmm. um, we would have been in flux. Uh, We would have been at at a time when there wasn't a stable... um, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? There wasn't a stable capital in Persia. Uh, it moved like three times during the 16th century. Okay. But at the end of the century, it, it moved to Isfahan, where it stayed. And that's when... You, the reign of Shah Abbas I is is... For a courtesan, it's just an amazing reign to look at. First of all, because there's a bunch of art that was made featuring courtesans during that period. So we have a lot of visual reference. Oh, Most of it's a tiny that. bit... What was that? You could actually see them. Yeah, and, and it's a tiny bit post-period, but, but not it, not so much that, that you imagine there's much difference, uh, particularly because Persian society moved rather slowly, in all honesty.
0: Well, how much post-period are you talking?
1: Oh, I'm talking about the, the same king.
0: Okay, so, um, so... It's like
1: talking about Elizabeth after 1600.
0: Yeah, okay, so it's, it's still the great the period.
1: Yeah, if you go into our website, which is houseofthelotus.org, on the front page of the website, there is a beautiful painting featuring a bunch of courtesans. In fact, you can see their nipples. Um, they have see-through clothes on. Yay! Uh, I know, it's great. I love it. And um, and it's it, it's a fresco from the walls of a pleasure palace in Isfahan. Um, and that fresco was made, I believe, around 1630? So like I said, just slightly post period, but it's a very good uh, it's a very good example of of what probably was going on in 1599 also. Yeah. So we decided basically that we wanted to to glom onto Shah Abbas the first reign because it's a glamorous reign and it's a reign where courtesans were very visible. And also, not to put too fine a point on it, but Although there are some very religious Persian scholars who might argue with me, there is an enormous amount of evidence that Shah Abbas I was either gay or bi. Okay. So, that also meant that it was a very um, a very liberal court. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So, we really like that moment, and we decided to go with 1599 quite simply because it is the last moment. <laughs> That we could have and still be an SCA period, and we thought we're just going to really hone in on that, that specific moment, and it's, a, it's kind of an amazing year, because in 1599, um, Isfahan was being built.
0: Oh, wow. So lots of exciting stuff, lots of growth.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a growth time There were parties, it was super interesting So we decided to build our household around that And to create this sort of The center for the household Now, because we have this magical property Not everybody in the household is of Persian origin Obviously I'm not of Persian origin, mm-hmm. actually um, And we've been Bringing in new members of the household One who, actually a couple of, of People with French personas uh, And all we've asked them Is that they define how they ended up in persia okay the anachronistic part of it will just magically transport them in terms of years but they do need to know why they're in persia if they're from france how did they get to persia mm-hmm. do you see what i
0: mean absolutely yeah
1: um <clears throat> that's sort of one of one of the the initial requirements of being a household member it's it's figure out how your Persona story works into the household Persona and we'll just fudge around The time and nobody really says anything about that Cause eh whatever
0: <laughs> If you want to be funny about time You're just going to be like hung up on it Forever you know like literally Forever and you'll never get to Anything else so I'm just like Yeah it's fine I have a, I have a there's a Roman courtesan With a, a 16th century uh, <laughs> Japanese patron and it's
1: Fine yeah, exactly. These are these are some of the things that we just we sort of accept in the fantasy of the SCA. Yeah, there's so much that we're that we're so historically focused about. So we have to. There has to be breathing room in some areas, and that's sort of where our our area is. Um, so yeah, uh, and having our household specifically be a house of courtesans was. I don't even know if it was even a discussion. I think it was just. Obvious that that was what we were going to do.
0: Well, and are you all courtesans or are you all cortisans no. on household?
1: No, actually, we're a courtesan household, but we're not all courtesans. Well, so, um, I
0: mean, like, a courtesan and their their entourage, to not use yes. SCA-specific words also.
1: Yes, and because we are, we're very focused on persona, um, both individually and as a group... Um, We've identified our role In relationship to the kingdom You know, to, to Persia um, And we have A relationship with the Shah And we um, In fact, I, it was sort of intended For later in the conversation, but I'll just Briefly mention it now We actually have a household project right now Where we are designing our household estates
0: Yes, you mentioned this before And it's just an exciting idea I love it so much
1: it is. It's it's a super fascinating project. Um, we're we've done a lot of research, and we're sort of moving into the ideation phase right now. And I mean, I, I think the challenging thing for us is that we're we're artists. A lot of us, and um, it's a little hard sometimes to restrict yourself. Yeah. To what was actually done in period, and I mean, we may be taking some liberties. If I'm completely honest, um, but the liberties that we're taking. Are more than anything In combining Features, specifically There are an enormous number of Persian uh, Buildings from the period That are octagonal, for example Or even hexagonal Mm -hmm. But we've taken it sort of a step further So that if you look at it from above It's the shape of a lotus
0: Oh, that's cool though
1: yeah, it's it maybe is a little bit extra liberty But it is so lovely And there are things in India that are like that um, There are things from Mughal India Which uh, obviously is literally a hop, skip, and a jump
0: Yes, absolutely um, I'm actually so, class-crunning uh, an event in the fall That is a Mughal Indian event
1: mm, I want to go to a Mughal Indian event That sounds so fun! <laughs> Honestly, it was kind of a coin flip for me between doing India and doing Persia. Yeah. It was... The reason I ended up going with Persia is because I've just put so much focus into Arabic music, and if I went into Mughal India, then I'd really have to start learning Carnatic music instead, and like a whole other musical system, and... Be fifteen years before I'm at the same point.
0: Right, right. Well that's totally Carnatic music as I
1: currently am in Arabic music, so you know.
0: Yeah. Well that's much sustainable. When I chose my <laughs> when I chose my Roman persona, I specifically chose one where I could still be referencing the works of Galen because I didn't want to have to learn a right. completely different medical system like from word go. You know, I can branch yeah. out later.
1: Well, you know, as a side note, at some point I need to talk to you and have you help me develop my Roman persona. Because for, for our audience, when I was at Gulf Wars, I was, I have to say, gifted with a Roman persona. <laughs> I was invited into the gang of Lucretius. Yeah, we're not. A and I was given the name Lucretia Sappho, which I have to say I, I love. Yay! And the name was so good that I couldn't say no. And then Marcella <laughs> said that I should be a priestess of Isis, and that was also super cool. Yeah, yeah. So that's all I know about my Roman persona now is that I'm Lucretia Sappho and I'm a priestess of Isis. But I don't even know what that means. So.
0: Well- <laughs> We can definitely figure out more about what that means. Um, yes, the, yeah,
1: secondary personas are fun, friends. They are are
0: very fun, <laughs> um, and and not even like some people have them as like a nighttime party persona. Some people have like a joke persona. Some people will have like a secondary persona that's really specific, like uh, a member of the clergy or a crusader. Or mm, um,
1: that's interesting.
0: Yeah. Or or a. Or a prostitute Like they'll have their And that kind of crosses With the party persona Like
1: there are No I know a lot of people Have their courtesan As a secondary persona I, I just said to hell with it Both of my personas Are courtesans Yeah
0: Well <laughs> um, My The only reason uh, My secondary persona Is um, The courtesan Is because I have a cold weather And a warm weather Persona mm. And um, My cold weather persona Is the persona I've been playing Since I was Like A kid So I'm not opposed to her being a courtesan, I've just never really thought about taking her in that direction, and I was already at the same time introduced to courtesans at the same time I was developing my hot weather persona, so I was like, fuck it, Roman whores!
1: Um, It's very convenient. It is. I mean, I have to say, I feel like I I may end up playing my Roman persona more than you might imagine, simply because I hate being too warm. (laughs) Yes. Although I also I just wear wear saris and like that doesn't actually it's not appropriate for either of my personas, but I don't care.
0: Yeah, it's comfortable <laughs> and they look beautiful. So why? Why would you ever not? <laughs> it's also
1: one of the really amazing benefits of being in a wheelchair. <laughs> because saris are hard to wear. Yeah. But when you're in a wheelchair, they don't budge. <laughs> you know what? That's that's true. That's true.
0: Uh so
1: you got to take your, your advantages when they come, because there's not that many.
0: <laughs> there, You know what? You're not wrong. It's, I, you know, I don't have that specific challenge, but my physical challenges are the same way. Like, there's not much good that comes. So when it does... I mean, you've always got a chair at court.
1: I, do, I always have a chair. Also, I have amazing skin. It's actually a side effect of my illness.
0: <laughs> that is fantastic. People literally pay, I know, right? like, a lot for that.
1: I know! <laughs> of all the side effects, my, my skin feels like velvet. Mm. It's actually one of the ways that you know when someone has ehlers Syndrome is that my, my skin feels like velvet.
0: <laughs> that's really interesting. Hmm. Weird, right? Right? That, yeah. Well, that's like, um, okay, this is really tangential, but... Um,
1: it is. We're off topic. But, so, ah. Well,
0: no, but some people think that um, the incorruptible bodies of saints... That emit uh-huh. sweet smells may actually be caused by the fact that the, the people were diabetic. Oh, and they're preserved by like sugar inside their body because <laughs> an excess of sugar oh, actually wow. does preserve things. Um, That's
1: amazing. It's a
0: wacky thing, but um, yeah. And then they would smell—they would smell sweet, which could easily be mistaken for roses or something, if uh, someone had a mind to.
1: Love morbid history
0: Right, me too, it's the greatest Okay, so (laughs) So, back to the
1: House of the Lotus
0: So, courtesan
1: household, Persia, 1599
0: Yes, so um, what sorts of activities are you doing as a household? Um, You mentioned planning your estates, which sounds amazing Anything else?
1: Well, we have our website, which um, We're really trying to encourage all of the household members To start blogging on the website And also, anytime somebody does Any sort of a competition or anything We put their um, uh, Their Documentation up so if you're interested in seeing Documentation we have a whole blog Just for documentation On the website but we have other projects We're working on um, uh, Too I mean we have the We're working on garb For the whole household we want everyone to have uh, Not matching but all Like very very high end Safavid Persian garb so that we Can all you know go to a party together and look fabulous. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I know people love the matching stuff and I know that like it kind of, <clears throat> of imitates paintings, but I just I can't I can't imagine it was really super historical. So, I don't know. I'm not I'm not really into the matching. I'm I'm like you, I'm more into like coordinating a level of affluence and yes. and um, finery.
1: Affluence, finery and and also just consistency of time and place.
0: Yeah, that's true. Um,
1: we've been bringing in new household members Um, we have, uh, a few new people Actually, um, we brought in uh, A young man Named Estienne, who is Uh, he's one of the French personas that I mentioned And Estienne is Uh, Estienne de Belfay. Is, uh, he's just starting out in Heavy fighting, he's very new to the SCA But we're very excited, I-, I like taking People under my wing and, like, helping them get Started in the SCA, it's one of the things I love So, um He's a wonderful singer, and I hear... I haven't been to any of the fighting practices that he's been at, but I hear he's very talented, and we should watch out for him in the future. Um, So that's exciting. That is exciting. And speaking of having household members who are not courtesans, his persona is not a courtesan. His persona is actually a patron of one of the other courtesans in the household. Okay. Um, And then we also just brought in another courtesan, Ameline. Um... Who is a lovely Uh, a lovely young woman Ameline Kidoznoir. Again, we got the French names Going on, we got a bunch of French people in the household now I don't know how our Persian household ended up with so many Frenchies
0: I mean, (laughs) they like nice things
1: They do, they do And Ameline, uh, her story was Basically that she, uh she wanted to see the world, so she traveled as much as she could, and then she found that Isfahan had fabulous parties, so she stayed.
0: <laughs> that That's a fantastic reason to stay anywhere.
1: I agree. I agree. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, one of the things that I think is great about having a household Is that we're all sort of there to support each other's Goals And and if somebody's newer we're there to help them get started And if somebody is experienced but they want to Branch off in a new direction We're all there to sort of support each other I I think of a household as being sort of an extended family Yeah I don't know if that's how everyone views it But it's definitely how I view it
0: I definitely think the support is a big part of it Um, Even households that are like completely Combat focused or my own household um, with Kata oro that is uh, research focused. The main thing we always do is support each other. You know, yeah. There are even some households I've I've come across that are just like party. They they throw parties and and mm-hmm. not like period. Just awesome parties. Um and and but they're still there to support each other. Whether that's you know with obscure ingredients or uh, research sources or patterns or help making a project or just, you know, help with your hangover. (laughs) They're, they're all there Mm -hmm. to support.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, so yeah, I I think that's a a pretty common thing across more and households. So we should briefly mention for anyone not, I who might be listening. Households are a, like, are, do they even have a legal, I no, they
1: have no official standing in the SEA. Yeah,
0: they're just sort of a folk practice.
1: They're unofficial groups. Yeah.
0: Um, so they're unofficial groups, but they're incredibly common. Um, people form them all the time. They will sometimes have a charter written up. Um, a lot of them have... We
1: haven't written ours yet, but we're working on one of those. Yeah,
0: a lot of them have a charter, even if it's um, a completely mundane sort of governing document, just so that they have some sort of touch point for everyone to be on the same page, literally. Um. Cata Oro or the Cada uh household has, uh, like, written, fully period, colligged, illuminated, signed, stamped, sealed. Oh, lovely. Of course, because we're, we're this, the uber research immersive nerds, so of course we do. Um, <laughs>
1: uh, but, you know, I think, oh, I think one of the interesting things about households is that they find their footing over time. Yeah, we had an idea about what we wanted our household to be. But as it grows, the household will change. Yeah. It will change in accordance with the people who are in it. Mm-hmm. You know, if we end up with a lot of fighters, we'll probably have a fighting unit at some point. Right now we only have a couple of fighters, so they're, you know, yep. maybe we'll ally with someone, you know. Um, but
0: I mean if it's not changing based on who's in it, it's not really Responding to the needs of the people that are joining it.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly, and I, I think that's one of the biggest things. Like we have a couple of projects we're working on as a household. We're, like I said, we're working on a garb. We're working on this our, our household estates. We're also working on, on creating a period encampment.
0: Okay.
1: Um, and in the end, what projects we do is, is going to be down to what our members are interested in. Yeah. You know, if someone comes. You know, to a meeting or an event And says, hey, I want to do this thing Then, you know, that's That's how we grow And that's how we expand As a as a group
0: Yeah, so what do you look for in household members?
1: Oh, it's such a good question I am looking um, And it's not just me But uh, It's sort of a benevolent dictatorship In the end, I get to decide <laughs> <laughs> But um, But I, I we talk as a group mm-hmm. about about when there's new people that we're thinking about bringing in. I look for people who have, who are looking for the same thing from their SCA experience as we are. I, I look for people, I look for people who are sharing the same dream. Um, and for me, that means uh, I want to have people in our household who really want to play a Persona game, for example. Who really are um, are interested in the arts and also who are just naturally service-oriented people. It's not that I need everybody in the household to be a future pelican, but we want the people in the household to be people who um, believe in paying it forward. Yeah. Um, it's also really important that we share certain things ideologically. Our household is full of people of many races and religions and gender identities and sexual orientations. Um so somebody who's going to be a member of our household has to be in support of all of our rights. Yeah. It's just it, it's it's a critical element. If you're not a feminist, you don't belong in the house of the lotus. Yeah, whether you're a man or a woman. Yeah, I, I. If you. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just, I was just repeating in a rhetorical way. I was just going to say, if you're not a feminist, if you don't, if you don't believe in in gay rights, if you don't support Black Lives Matter, these are sort of like baseline things for the household. Does yeah. that make sense?
0: Well, it does, and and if it is, because if it's going to be a family. You don't want people, I mean, like, we often end up with people in our family mundanely who don't maybe don't support us and believe we need to, we have the right to exist how we are. But when Mm -hmm. you're choosing members of a family, I think that's a completely legitimate thing. Um, There's a household that I know of that actually has like a, a trial period for every new member. And then after. Oh, we do too. Yeah. And then after that trial period, they have a private discussion with everyone already in the household and they're like, are you okay with this person being in the family? Cause they're going to be in the family. And if even yeah. one person objects, then, you know, they're like, Hey, it's been wonderful getting to know you better, but it's not the right fit. And that is what it is. Yeah. So,
1: uh, and that's, that's very close to the model that we've taken. We have a three month trial period. You have to go to at least three events with us and also three months have to pass. Um, and we need to get to know you and, and you know, Know that we're comfortable having you in our home. Know that we're comfortable sharing space with you in that way. You yeah,
0: know? yeah, absolutely. That makes perfect sense. Well, and um,
1: so that's a big thing. Yeah, but we're also looking for people who are um, who are really engaged in the SCA. We want people who who have goals and like there. There is nothing wrong, nothing at all wrong with being in the SCA for fun. Yeah. It's awesome, and the SCA can be an enormous amount of fun. But if that's your primary reason for being in the SCA, House of the Lotus may not be the right house for you. Yeah. Because we do things. <laughs> we, you know, organize events, and we, um, we do projects. I expect people in the household to, whatever it is that they do, I expect them to be active in that community.
0: Yeah, does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And I think that seems like a, like especially having met you and knowing you, um, that seems like a thing that is a perfect fit for, for someone who's going to be joining your family. I yeah. And the the I used to have a real hesitation about requiring people to be feminists. Um, specifically, this was in the context of dating. Mm-hmm. But I had a really hard problem, you know, s- saying, because to me, it's a political label. Like, I've always thought of it as a political label. And mm-hmm. I've also always thought that, like, I'm not going to limit myself based on someone's politics. But a couple of years ago, actually, a partner that I was seeing uh, at the time pointed out to me, like, why should I feel obligated to date people that don't think I am equal to them? Like, on a fundamental level. Why should I even feel obligated to be friends with people who don't think I am equal to them on a fundamental level? And I was like, and this was Mm -hmm. a guy. So the fact that it was coming from, like, this cishet white guy, I was like, oh, you're right. This is one of those times when I should feel more entitled.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. So, and I don't, I'm, I'm old, you know, yeah. I mean, I'm not that old, but I'm, no. I'm old enough uh, right? that I've gotten to the point now where I, I'm just, I, I'm bored with all that stuff.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, yeah, I think it's, I think it's the thing where it's like, oh no, you don't have to be a feminist, but if you're not a feminist, we probably won't go on a second date. You know what I'm saying? Which is just a waste yeah. of time for everyone. So why not just be like, be a feminist?
1: We have a form on our website <laughs> that we ask people to fill out if they want to be members of the household. I love it. And there are, mem- there, there are questions yeah. um, that say things like, do you consider yourself a feminist?
0: Yeah. That seems legit. I mean, it's yeah. your, your family. You've got to feel comfortable with each other. So I totally understand that. Um, So if someone wanted to become a member of your household, this segs very nicely. One of the ways they could do that would be to go to your website and fill out your form.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If somebody fills out the form, I'll contact them right away.
0: Okay. Um, what are some, um, what are the other ways, or how does someone become a member?
1: So if somebody wants to become a member of our household, there's basically two main ways. One of them is just go onto the website and fill out the form and then I'll contact you. And the other one is to just come up to me at an event or, you know, send me a private message on Facebook or send me an email. Any of those things. um, Because we want to grow. We don't want to stay a tiny household. We'd like to Um, We'd like to expand, and and we don't even necessarily want to be limited to the East Kingdom, so if people are interested in sort of farther afield, you know, uh, satellite members, (laughs) I think is how we would have to say that, Um, we're open to that, Uh, if we're on the same page and we want the same things from this game, then, you know, We'll yeah, figure it out. Absolutely. So, and if somebody contacts me privately, I will ask them to fill out this form. Now, I will be totally honest with you. There's a couple of people who are, like, pending members of the household because they totally want to be members of the household, but they have not yet filled out their form. Ah. Got to fill out and form. And I'm a stickler.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're going to create, you know, bureaucracy you got to use it. Otherwise, it's just I, I'm
1: a stickler about it. I, I have I will uh, as an addendum, I will say if somebody has a hard time with forms. Yeah, we can do it as um, like as a phone or text interview instead.
0: Right. And they're not like or they're not like a computer person or something like that.
1: Right. If somebody needs to do it a different way, I'll work out a different way with them. But the critical thing is um, we need to know these things. Yeah. Like, there's there's one person who is basically a member of our household now. He has house-sat for us, and our dogs love him, and he's a dear, dear friend, but he, he has only managed to make it, like, halfway through the form. And I'm just... Once he fills out the form, we will treat it as though he has already done his trial period. Yeah. But he needs to fill it out. <laughs>
0: yep. There, there's... Actually- and we have
1: that in place for, for a reason. Yeah. Um, because the form itself also tells you things... About what's expected of you, right? You know, we have questions, like I said, do you consider yourself a feminist? What are your feelings about LGBTQ people? You know, we ask people if they participate in any performing arts. They're not required to, but as a courtesan household, we are especially looking for people who perform. Yeah. (coughs) Particularly because in Persia there was um, a, a very strong correlation between the performing arts class and courtesans. Um, and also because we ask them things like, do you have food allergies? And are there any special accommodations that you need? Yeah, which are, you know, good to know. Yeah, really important for us to know as a household so that we can plan things effectively. Um... And I understand that not everybody is great with forms, but we talked about it, the, the, the founding members of the household, we had a little meeting about it, and we basically came to the conclusion that if a person couldn't be bothered to fill out the form, then they weren't quite ready to join the household. And once they could be, yep. then maybe they were ready.
0: <laughs> I think that's completely fair. You know, you put an investment into the people that join your household um, yeah. in that support. So there's there's... No reason um, not to want to know that they're going to be invested back, you know?
1: Um, yeah, absolutely.
0: So, on you've talked a lot about the website, and I just want to make sure our people know what all they can find there.
1: Um, you got- oh, I'm so excited about our website! We built this beautiful, beautiful website, um, and I mean, it's really like it's physically beautiful because we have designers in the household.
0: <laughs> Holla.
1: I know, right? So, um, on the front page of our website, houseofthelotus.org, you'll see a introduction that tells you about our household and a little about the SCA and links to the SCA pages. And we also have a household affairs blog on the front page where... It's supposed to be every month, but if I'm honest, it's more like every two months I successfully <laughs> write a, um, a a blog entry in which I sort of catch everybody up on new household members, on any awards that have been won in the household, etc. It's like, you know, a Christmas letter, but it's almost monthly. Yeah. Um, and we have a calendar underneath that where you can check what events the household is planning on being at. It's not like a commitment or anything, but it's likely. Um But beyond that front page, really, if if you're interested in digging deep on um, a a lot of very specific arts and sciences sort of things, there's there's a lot of things uh, to look at. There's a section called classes and handouts where we have handouts from any classes that members of our household teach. And that includes uh, classical Arabic music and Latino music and also color theory. Um, Very important. And there'll be more. Yeah, color theory is a big thing And we're going to be adding more as we go uh, We're developing a, um, a series of classes, actually um, We're developing a, a class series that we are calling The Renaissance Art Foundations Workshops And those classes include color theory, drawing and composition Still life drawing, nude figure drawing, clothed figure drawing And perspective it's basically like a crash course in the advances that were made in art between 1450
0: and, six, 1450 and 1600. That's a beautiful idea.
1: I love it. We're unrolling them one at a time and we're very excited. The color theory class was a smash. So, oh my gosh. We're, we're
0: Do you have handouts or anything for that
1: yeah there's handouts online oh
0: my gosh I will have to check it out I I've been yeah wanting to add, absolutely I've been wanting to add like as I branch out into eyeshadows I've mm-hmm. um with with the non because European makeup is just the red and white for people who don't know already um I talk mm-hmm. about it pretty frequently on the podcast but just in case um but as I'm branching out to doing other eye colors like it's becoming a lot more like modern makeup as far as mm-hmm. your palettes and everything and I realize um How many people don't know anything about modern makeup either? And I'm reminded of when I used to teach stage makeup. um, I, I specifically, whenever I taught it with teenagers, would do a section on street makeup because they were teenagers, right? And it was normal for them not to but every Mm. time I did it with adults they would end up asking me to do the same thing on one of our request days so um I just I I was sort of coming back to me that I'm like you know if you're going to talk about eyeshadow and eye colors oh yeah people are going to want to know how do I know what eye color looks good on me and then you're going to have to get into color theory so I like literally and the other thing that color theory is great so
1: oh sorry no it's
0: okay the other thing was thinking about it oh I need to add this (laughs)
1: The other thing that's great about color theory with what you do is that we teach people how to mix the colors they want.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: And obviously what you do involves a lot of color mixing. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, We actually use a system that is post-period. Color theory wasn't really fully developed in period, but we can use it to look back at what was done in period and figure out how to get a period look. Yes. Even though we are technically using modern techniques in order to understand it.
0: Well, and that's a safety measure as well because mm-hmm. um you you want to reproduce a lot of toxic pigments and toxic dyes
1: um, that's true
0: because the reason we don't use them anymore is because they're toxic but we use them right up until we had replacements
1: um some of us still use them yeah <laughs> but not for makeup yes definitely not for makeup
0: <laughs> definitely not for makeup every day um Uh, Because I have have made makeup out of toxic things, but I don't wear it every day. I wore it for an experiment and under safe control conditions.
1: Um, You have to be very careful about that. My mother once almost killed herself because she was wearing gold paint over her entire body, and she forgot or didn't know that she had to leave a big patch of skin open. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You can die. She was pregnant with me. She almost died. Oh,
0: my. Yeah, no, I'm I'm very careful. People hear that I, I have done actual makeup experiments with lead and vermilion and they freak out, but I'm very careful. Well I love
1: vermilion. Nothing looks like vermilion. I you know. can't mix vermilion.
0: I know. It's the bane <laughs> of my existence. Red six is Oh, close. it's an amazing color. Red six is close with some carmine. It's close. But it's not the same. Anyways, um, well,
1: check out our our, uh, color theory notes. It's a very long handout, actually. I'm looking at it right now, and it is. That's awesome. It is a very long handout. Yeah, and you need
0: need to be able to, like, read descriptions of pigments. Because some pigments don't exist anymore, or we don't know. You have to be able to read descriptions and know how to make them, and and then look at it and be like, this can't be right. I'll tweak it. You know, like, you have to have that grounding in color theory to really start to be working with. Um, what I call dupes of toxic things or or mm. um, even just mixing it so it looks nice.
1: Well, our color theory class is based around uh, a system called the Munsell system. It's a 19th century system, actually. Okay. Um, but it's really... It's, it's a really, really effective system and it more accurately represents uh, the nature of uh, pigment than um, the... The traditional primary and secondary system that we think of it is sort of off because basically, uh, instead of four primary colors, the Munsell system has five. Okay, what what? Um,
0: what five colors? Green
1: you- is also a color.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Um,
1: and, and it's it's a much more accurate depiction of the way the human eye registers color. I'm
0: definitely uh, going to have to because actually,
1: we then. see green more than we, we see variations in green more than any other thing.
0: Yeah, and and yet, fascinatingly, we did not. Oh, no, it's blue. We named green really early on. Never mind. Fascinatingly, nothing. <laughs> I, I <laughs> that
1: was. is interesting. That the history of color is super interesting. Yeah. There's actually, I just realized that there's another handout that I, I haven't put up yet, but I will because it's done. It just isn't up, which is um, a class that I teach on uh, authentic renaissance acting technique. Ooh. Um Which is to say, how to perform Shakespeare and Shakespeare's contemporaries as they are meant to be performed. It doesn't really work to take a modern acting approach. No, Uh, there's a different way. (sighs) Yes. Uh, So I have a a wonderful, wonderful worksheet on that, which I will um, I will put up. And uh, so that's one of the things. Classes and handouts. We've got all this information. That
0: makes me love you on whole new levels. Because I taught like I had a a summer camp that was like a hands-on living history. Shakespeare Uh camp for kids, and basically Uh it was like basically was like you're gonna live as a Skadian for two weeks. um, Oh, that's awesome! During the day, but another big part, like it was patterned around the schooling that Shakespeare would have had. But we also did we did like the bare stage acting and like the all the all the directions are in the dialogue.
1: Yes, that's that's the key thing. Yes. Is that is that the information about how to perform it, the tempo, when you slow down, when you speed up, it's all there.
0: And the stage if you know
1: how to read it,
0: everything. Everything yes. is in there, and that was that was the thing I kept coming back to. And when I talk about bare stage, um, that's because like in the early days of, of Shakespeare's plays, they were traveling from place to place and they were mm-hmm. doing them and like in courtyards and stuff. So you literally would have like a tiny little area. And I actually used to work with a storytelling performance group here locally um, in Florida, and they basically do the same thing. They like go to like a historic house or historic. Um, Place, and then they'll do like, they'll tell stories as if they're people from that time period. But it's like, oh, it's, it's great. It's kind of like a guerrilla theater element and that you're just moving into a space and working with it. And yeah, that's, that's what Shakespeare would have been doing in the early before he had his own company, when he was working with other companies, and then after he had his own company in the early days, that's what they would have been doing. So that's like that's the birth.
1: Well, and even of in the style. Globe, there weren't a lot of sets. No, I mean we have this. They didn't change sets. It's a no. feature, not a bug. Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's the way it's supposed to be. Yes. And in the 19th, in the eighteenth and nineteenth century, they started adding. All the scenery and scene changes, and it slowed down yeah. Shakespeare to a crawl. Yeah, it, it's supposed to be at a pace. So, so yes, I'm a I'm a big believer in the authentic performance of of Shakespeare's work, and I'm really authentic performance is is obviously a, a major point of interest for me. So, yeah. Um, I do a lot that sort of brings that up. So so that's there. And then let me tell you what else is on the page. Okay. We have a research page, which has links to um, a few different blogs. Basically, our, our our website has like a million blogs. So there's a blog that's about courtesans, harem women, and eunuchs. Okay. There, there's an arts and sciences blog. There's a blog about Isfahan and its architecture. And then there's our documentation blog. Okay. And all that stuff you can access through the research thing. We have... Uh, Portals about each member of the household. So there's like an individual page for each household member, and we also have pages. And this is this is probably where the meat is. There's pages for each of our big projects. So if you you know pull the drop down menu on that, there's um, there's a page on period Arabic musical modes where um, the research that I've been doing for like 18 years is sort of uh, presented and summarized. In, in as much as I know right now. Uh, with references and that sort of thing uh, And there's also a Latino music database Okay Which um, I have started building A database of uh, Really every Latino song That I can locate And um, identifying which ones are period And locating different recordings That you can hear of those songs It's a very um, It's sort of a slow long term project But there's a lot there And if you're interested in learning Ladino music, it's a really good place to start from because I have links to um, to different performances of different songs and that sort of thing. And I also have on that page, and this is really important, um, I have a form that is labeled Ladino Song Evaluation Request. Basically, if there's a Ladino song that you want to do for an SCA competition and you don't know if it's period, you can fill out this form and... You have to give me like a little bit of time. Yeah, <laughs> I prefer if you give me like at least thirty days. Yeah, um, but I will do the the analysis and I'll I'll determine for you and give you like a report about whether uh, whether the song is period. I don't charge for it or anything; it's a free service. That sounds amazing. Um, well, I you know it's it's. I want to encourage more people to do this music. It's a yeah. tradition that is that is in danger of dying out, and um, I think it's just amazing music. I think it's it's moving and exciting. And you know, if you're in the SCA and you are, for example, somebody with a really big voice, somebody who has a background in opera, um, for example And you find yourself struggling With SCA music because so much Period music is focused Towards smaller voices Lavino music has The space for big voices Okay um, Which is one of the things that I think is really Exciting because it, it, it's one of the Roots of flamenco music actually
0: Which is like um, beautiful And so expressive
1: yeah, exactly. It's very expressive, it's very individualized. And, um, and there, rain, the range of music goes from songs that, that children can learn very, very easily, because you know, a, a lot of this music was sung by children, um, all the way up to virtuoso pieces. So uh, there's just this... It, it's just this amazing musical tradition that people don't know that much about. And in the SCA, one of the things that keeps people from doing it um, is that it's very, very difficult to document. Okay. And I'm able to do it because I've been doing it for 18, 20 years now. I, I, I just... I, I've learned oh, no, the I process. You. There's a system. There's... Uh, I have... I have the Hello? pieces in place to be able to do it pretty easily for people. So, I'd like to see more Lavino songs making it into the uh, the competition circuit in the SCA. And I believe we just got disconnected. Hello. We got disconnected.
0: We did. It's alright, we found each other again. Did you
1: Indeed. just leave your okay, thing recording? There you go. Alright, I, I the recording is still going on my end. Perfect. So um I think what I was saying was um that yeah, it's it's difficult to document unless you have a lot of experience. So since I have that background and I want to see more of this in the competition circuit in the SCA and just generally getting play in the SCA. Yeah. Um I will do what I can to to help it break through. And you know, every song I document is one more song that we know for sure is period.
0: Yeah, that's true. I Although
1: I, honestly like half of them are not period. Yeah. <laughs> when people send me a request, about half of the time it's not.
0: That yeah, it's it's people send me videos about cos like period cosmetics and I'm usually like, this is really. I'm so glad that you notice. I'm interested, Um, (laughs) but that's because once you develop a certain level of knowledge on a thing, you really start to understand.
1: Yeah, there are parts of it that seem right. There, there are parts of it that I can't even explain. Like the first thing I do when someone sends me a piece is I listen to it. Yeah, and a lot of times when I first listen to it, I immediately know that it's modern.
0: Yeah. I get it. And sense for the main reason like is because I
1: know the modes. Yeah. And if, if it's a modern mode, then I know it's a modern mode and I don't have to do anything else. I can write back to them right away and say, so this is modern.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, Proving its period is much more uh, labor intensive. Yeah, it I can It requires imagine. me to locate recordings in different locations and track a bunch of things down. It's a, it's a process.
0: Yeah. So what advice do you have for someone else who wants to start a household? And sub-note, specifically start a courtesan household.
1: Great question. All right. So first of all, on the broader question, if somebody wants to start a household, uh, there's a couple of things you need to be clear on. I think that it really helps if you have been a central part of a household previously. Okay. If you've sort of seen how a household runs and uh, learned what you like and what you don't like. Because um, it's a big job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a really big job running a household. You're responsible for a lot of people. Um, it's not unlike being a landed baron, just on sort of a smaller scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really important that you know why you're doing it. Like, what is the reason I need to build a household? Am I filling a gap that, that exists mm-hmm. in, um, uh, in my area? You know, um, in my case, like I looked around and I said, are there other courtesan households? There are not. Are there other Persian households? There are not. Like, so this is, it's, it's a unique space that we're filling. Yeah. Um, and it's also a performance focused household and, and sort of knowing what those things are, knowing what the things are that, that you care about and that give you a reason to want to create this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really important because if you start with just a vague idea that you want to get together with a group of friends, you can create a household, but it's not necessarily going to last. Yeah. Um, Having something that, that, that ties it together, I think, is really useful. Now, don't get me wrong. What can tie it together can be we are a bunch of people who really like to drink and we're not that focused on authenticity. That is a perfectly acceptable yeah. basis for a household, and I have seen it work really well.
0: Or we camp together, and it works well, so we'll keep doing it.
1: See, I don't... For me, it's hard for me to see people who just camp together as being the same as, like, a household household. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because it's it's not an all-the-time thing. Fair. Uh, and particularly people who are, like, I've heard a lot of people refer to where they camp at Pensick as their household. And I get it. But it's kind of a different relationship. I mean you can call it a household but it's not the same kind of you don't have the same kind of obligation.
0: Yeah. Well, there are a lot of people who only go to Pensic, really, as their own that's their true. Main SCA activity. So that might be That is true. If that if that's the case then that would be completely applicable.
1: Well yes, then then, then actually I suppose that would be a, a perfectly reasonable way of thinking of a household. Um
0: But that still actually fits your criteria. They just... Yeah, it
1: still is about having the same goals, wanting the same thing. Yeah, like
0: we want to have my an awesome household, time for two weeks every year at Pensac.
1: Almost everyone in my household aspires to a peerage.
0: Yeah,
1: it doesn't mean they're all going to get a peerage, and it's, and I said almost because actually one of the heads of our household could care less.
0: Yeah, um. it's good to have a balance.
1: <laughs> yes. Um she's already got a grant she's good
0: (laughs) that makes sense Um, honestly like I I won't say that there are not things that I think may come to pass in my SCA career but after getting my AOA honestly I was like I just want to be a lady of an imaginary society that's all (laughs) I
1: need that's all I need that's beautiful yeah see I want to be a double peer I'm very (laughs) I'm upfront about it. I'm like, no, I want to be a Laurel and a Pelican. That's I wanna serve as a landed baron at some point.
0: I I totally admire your ambition. I
1: um <laughs> Also I wanna be queen, but somebody has to fight for me. Yeah. Putting it out there. Just putting it out there.
0: I have I have some ideas <laughs> about how to be queen.
1: Mm. Mostly
0: from seeing other really good queens. But um mm-hmm. so like if someone was gonna fight for me, I would have ideas. Which is. Yeah. So for me, that's
1: what it's about. Yeah. It's about serving. It is. Actually.
0: I actually think, like, um, theater people and, Mm -hmm. like, event organizer type people are really specially suited to be crowned. Because it it is a performance, public speaking, performance, and then, like, logistics coordination. Kind of exactly. Thing. And
1: those are the reasons I want to be queen, because that's like me. <laughs> yeah. I, All of that. I'm like a super organizer and a director and a theater person.
0: Yeah. Um, well, and when I was when I was younger, um, I had one of my friends tell me he's like, there's something there's something really special about you.
1: Hmm. And it's
0: not the way most people think there's something really special about you because you can talk to anyone and make them yeah. feel like they're the most special person in the world. As long as you talk. Oh, to them. it's
1: true. I love you. Well, thank you. You're amazing. <laughs>
0: and so, and, and that to me, that's a, that's a skill. That's a queen skill. Like if that's, and
1: I think you would be a marvelous queen.
0: Thank you. But you know, like when I go up there to get an award, like, Listen, at the last award I got, the king literally in front of everyone said he was only giving me the award so everyone would stop talking about how amazing I was and go back to talking about how amazing he was, and I still That's felt hilarious. incredibly special. So, those are monarch <laughs> skills, and I feel like I have a few monarch skills. I think I would I think I could do it. <coughs>
1: I agree. I think he I think he'd be wonderful in that position.
0: I think you would be um, too. And also I want this to happen because you're going to have someone you're going to get carried around on a litter, right? Yes. <laughs> or a palanquin or whatever <laughs> you're going to call it. Culturally appropriate. That is
1: definitely that is definitely my solution to, you know, not wanting to have a wheelchair everywhere.
0: And I want to see <laughs> that. So, I want you to be queen because I want that to happen.
1: That's hilarious. I th- also horseback, I can do horseback. Oh, yeah,
0: there you go. I think I. <laughs> that's what I need I should just constantly be on horseback So I can see things Yeah,
1: then no one will know your height at all And you'll always feel taller than everybody Yes,
0: I'll, they'll think I'm like this tall Amazing elf <laughs> queen And they'll never know I'm it's a midget It's perfect
1: <laughs> Alright <laughs> We went totally off on a tangent But our tangents are fun, but so it's who fun. cares And
0: I think, I think the alcohol, I think the mead and the cider May be working
1: Oh, definitely um, but yes, so ad- advice on starting a household Now, uh, I- I'm going to go to the courtesan household part of this Yes, for a second. that's important Starting a courtesan household has unique challenges uh, In particular, because there is um, still stigma that we fight yes. Um We still Our role as a courtesan household Whether we want it to be or not Is to educate Yeah so if you decide to start a courtesan household, have it in the back of your mind yeah. that whether you want it to be or not, that will end up being your role. Because people will want to know. People will ask you questions. Many people will be very confused yeah. <laughs> about what would make you want to do such a thing. Um, and you have to be ready and willing to um, inform people ab- about why about what it means to be a courtesan household about what we support and and also um on every single page of our website every single page at the bottom there is a disclaimer (laughs) that says that we are reenactors of sex workers and we do not under any circumstances perform sexual acts for money or other compensation yep we have that
0: on the (laughs) that disclaimer
1: is is a permanent piece of the bottom of that page. And the thing is, yep. you may find yourself having to repeat that periodically. Yep. I don't have as many problems with that as other people might. Because being in a wheelchair, people automatically desexualize me.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's a sad Whole thing. other
1: issue. Yeah. Not my favorite thing. But uh, the fact that there is that that barrier in place in a weird sort of way makes it easier for me to talk to people about being a courtesan.
0: Yeah. I, I actually pulled out a podcast card to talk to someone at Gulf war and she had no clue about anything SCA courtesan related. And she looked at me like I had handed her a bloody knife. Like (laughs) seriously, like she was just like aghast, and luckily, um, hey, Lord Gideon, thanks for being so supportive because your laurel was there. And she was like, oh, they're fine. <laughs> Thank goodness. Because, oh my goodness. Yeah, she was just like, what have you given me? Yeah, so there's there's educating to be done.
1: Yeah, it, it just becomes an everyday part of your experience. Um, and also, if you're going to start... Any kind of a household, courtesan or otherwise, you've got to know it's a lot of work. Yeah, um,
0: and you wouldn't think that, being as how it's technically non-existent and has no real legal—it has no legal standing—and
1: yet the SCA is very dependent on the existence of households. They are. Were there not households, our? Um, Wars, especially, would be very chaotic mm-hmm. uh, We have an expectation that people will self-divide That they will find um, places to camp And obviously, you know, there's always your barony There's always your local group mm-hmm. as a, a, a backup But in the long run, um, the SDA needs us mm-hmm. They need households
0: the, Absolutely
1: um, and, and households help to sort of give shape to the organization um, I think one of the things that I would be very aware of in starting a courtesan household is you have to make sure that the people you're bringing into your group are, are healthy for the group. Mm-hmm. It's not that they have to be individually healthy. We all have our own struggles, you know, um, yeah. we're, we're a very inclusive group and there's whatever people are going through. They're going through, but as a group, we need to maintain a healthy dynamic. Um, a dynamic in which nobody feels like they're being taken advantage of. Um, and a, a dynamic in which um, people are doing jobs that are appropriate for them, and the work is divided in a way that um, that feels fair to people. Yeah. Um, so th- those are some of the things you have to consider uh, as the head of any household, and particularly as a head of a courtesan household, because... Being a courtesan puts you out there so much,
0: yeah, that's that
1: true. um you're sort of vulnerable and your place at home needs to be really clear because when you when you go out in the world as a courtesan and you're um, uh, meeting new people all the time, especially because i don 't know about you, but I know a lot of people who are courtesans specifically to try to get out of themselves more people who are shy or introverted, who want to, to put themselves in a position where they will meet more people, where they will go to parties, where they'll do things they might not otherwise do. Yeah. And that is inherently something that creates a level level of, um, a vulnerability. Yeah. Uh, and as the head of a courtesan household, you're responsible for watching out for for your people.
0: (laughs) That's very true.
1: Um, and and making sure that, like, I, I feel like if I sent one of my courtesans out for the evening with a patron and the patron was inappropriate or abusive or that sort of thing, I would feel a responsibility.
0: Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I totally understand.
1: Um, a- and one of. Part of what that ends up meaning is that, like, we need to go out in pairs and things. Yeah. Do you know? We have to watch out for each other. We have yeah. to make sure that, um, uh. We have to take the same kind of care that women need to take with each other when they go into nightclubs. Yeah. I. As much as I hate to say it, we have to watch out for things like somebody spiking your drink.
0: Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, um,. It doesn't happen a lot. Um,
1: no, it doesn't. But happen it happens
0: as much as it happens mundanely. I I believe, but that doesn't mean it doesn't I, I happen. So. And if we start to believe it doesn't happen in the SCA, it will happen more.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So and yeah,
1: I think as a courtesan household, we have more responsibility than others might about that and about things like making sure that there isn't underage drinking going on in our uh, in our midst in our camp yeah. among our people. All of those things are safety issues.
0: Yeah. I Well, I also find that as a known courtesan, like as, as someone who's out and open about my involvement with the courtesans, I frequently get consulted about consent things. Um, yeah, Not necessarily issues that have come up, but if someone wants to, like, make a sign about consent or teach a class about mm-hmm. consent or... There or even things like I want to ask this person out, but I want to be respectful of their consent. Um, yeah. So we field a lot of um, consent and and sort of um, sex education type questions. Um, yeah. Yeah. Education. Those are a big, are part a big of it factor. All around.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I think that's the thing is when you're starting a cordon household, you have to understand what sort of responsibility you're going to end up having to the community in that position. And you just have to be ready to take that on. I mean, I don't think that's a a big barrier, but for some people, it it might be something that makes you take a little caution.
0: Yeah. Or at Um, least, you know, you can plan ahead and say, we're going to have a person in charge of that because that's not me.
1: Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, And I think another thing to be really aware of is that there is a a very unconscious tendency for a lot of people to assume that all courtesans are women. Yes. Um, And if you're starting a courtesan household, I would be consciously inclusive. I would make sure that you you specifically make it clear that you're not... uh, limiting, I mean, unless you are, unless you want to have just a women's household, which I I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No. Necessarily. But, um, but if you're looking to have a, a a larger, um, mixed gender household, then I would be explicit about things like, in our case, you know, we, we say, I'm going to look at how we phrase it because we phrase it pretty well on our page. Um, uh, here it is we say we are an lgbtq friendly disability adaptive and socially progressive household that's awesome our personas come from diverse backgrounds from all andalus to the mongolian plains and we hope that our membership will reflect a similar diversity um we made it a point to like put it out there that we want a diverse household yeah um and that we are inclusive of um sexual orientations and gender identities. I mean, obviously the, the founding members are, we're a polyamorous trio with two women and a trans man. So yeah, <laughs> right off the bat, like our, our position is very clear, but if you are starting a household, like if you want it to be inclusive,
0: tell don't people. just
1: think it in the back of your head, say it out loud.
0: Yeah. Make it, make it Because clear. there are a
1: lot of people who are looking for an inclusive home and are afraid to approach people.
0: Yeah. Um, Especially because if you're looking for an inclusive home, it's not unlikely that you've been kicked out of an uninclusive home, even if that's mundanely. And so Mm -hmm. the one thing, and this is a thing, um, I think people don't, the burden of asking is very difficult. And especially the the internal calculus is, can I bear to take this rejection? And if the answer is no you won't ask. It's not about whether or not you think they likely will reject you or whether or not, you know, they seem like nice people or they seem approachable. If you can't bear mm-hmm. to take the rejection from another family right now, you will never ask. So, um, Absolutely. and there's, um, a lot of people in the S.A. who maybe, um, think, oh, well, you know, people will always ask to be accommodated. They may not. They may just, you know... Um, no,
1: and sometimes we put the burden on the asker to, yeah. to an unacceptable degree. Every time I go to an event, I have to contact the event steward. Well, actually, we have it set up so that I have to contact the disability porter who contacts the event steward for me Yeah. to ask if I can have a personal care attendant on hand. Never mind that the ADA requires it. Mm-hmm. Um, Putting oh. the burden on me in that way, like it's easier for me than for some disabled people. Yeah. But I know that there are a lot of disabled people who don't have the—they don't—they have too much anxiety. They have too much social uh, um, um, anxiety, in particular. Well,
0: I can imagine to, that you just don't want to be a burden more than anything. Yeah, it's else. awful. I
1: hate doing it. I'm—I mean, I'm. As, as outgoing and and extroverted a person as you're going to find in most situations, but I've got to tell you, I do not like having to ask for accommodations every time I go to an event. Yeah. I, I would like it to be automatic. That's how it should be. Yeah. It's not, and that's a whole other issue. They- you know, someday we could have a, a whole conversation about um, uh, accessibility in the SCA and how we can make it better, but... What we can do as a as a household is to be proactive. Yes. A- and one of the things I would say to you as a household, in particular, if you're starting a household, is that if you see someone that you think would be a good fit, and also they seem shy, don't make them come to you. Yeah. I, I know a lot of people who are weird about that, who just want to wait and make people come to them. Don't do that. Yeah. It's mean.
0: <laughs> it can be really mean. Like, for some people, like, for me... Um, I, I, I like offers, but I don't like to be sold on things. So, you know, for me personally, but
1: that's the thing is that that's all it has to be is just saying, Hey, well,
0: and I'm obviously not the sort of person that needs that. Like I think interacting with me for five minutes shows you that. So, you know, meet the person where they're at. If the person is a very outgoing person, then all you've got to do is say, Hey, the form is here if you ever want it. But if they're shy and it's obvious, Maybe be a little bit more warm. Maybe be a little bit more inviting because not everyone is extroverted. But I
1: encourage you to look for orphans. Yeah. You know, uh, orphans come in, in a lot of different forms in the SCA. But, um... Sometimes they can be the most loyal and supportive and amazing household members you could possibly imagine. Yeah. Um... And, you know, when you are an inclusive household, that's often not difficult because you look around an event and you go, oh, hey, that gay boy over there looks really uncomfortable. Yeah. (laughs) You know, he looks like he doesn't know anybody and he doesn't know who to interact with, you know. And then you go talk to him, and you say, "Oh, hey, this is a nice person who gets along well with us. Maybe we should invite him to come hang out with us sometime." And that's sort of where you start it from. That's how you bring people into a household. You start out by saying, "Hey, hang out with us." Yeah. And then you figure out how everybody feels. You know. That makes perfect sense. So I encourage you to reach out to orphans. There's a lot of there's a lot of them in the SCA. Yeah.
0: Um, There's. I'm on a mission to diversify our society. Orphans, just in general, because we're such a, a. Um we're such a we move so much um and we we're so disconnected from like different social groups and 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 things like that so yeah yeah well thank you so much for being with us tonight this has been a wonderful conversation and i'm so glad that we got a chance to have it
1: it has it's been great we've been all over the place but i think it was uh exciting and informative i hope our audience feels the same
0: <laughs> <laughs> i think the wandering ones are sometimes some of the best just because we get into some little nooks and crannies of things that we never even would have planned to talk about so
1: absolutely yeah uh
0: it was, and thank you lovely listeners for joining us today for horse to culture we hope you've enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed sharing our salon with you
1: Make sure you always have a seat in our salon. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite service, and please give us a five-star rating. It only takes a moment, and it helps other people find us. We'd be very grateful.
0: Call us with your society gossip or questions for your favorite courtesans anytime at four forty four 4 We'll be waiting to hear from you. You can look at our website at knownworldcourtisans.org. That's K-N-O-W-N-E-W-O-R-L-D-C-O-U-R-T-E-S-A-N-S dot O-R-G. That's known with an E on the end of it, as in ye olde English.
1: You can follow the Known World Courtesans on Twitter at sca SCACourtisans. We are on Instagram, Tumblr, Pinterest, and Facebook as Known World courtesans. That's with an E.
0: Join us in our Facebook group where we plan every podcast. We absolutely love to chat. You can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash W, the number two C, podcast. Facebook won't let us use whore in the URL, so we're W, number two C,
1: podcasts. We have a Twitter just for the podcast now, and you can find us at At Whores to Culture And our Facebook page, if you'd just like the podcast updates Is facebook.com Slash w 2 C Podcast. You can also support us by becoming our patron on Patreon Starting at just $1 a month You can get rewards like voting on future salon themes Early access to episodes Videos of KWC members In our historical clothing And at the tippy top levels You can have an entire episode dedicated to you
0: Every one of our salons is a labor of love, but with your help, we can get better recording equipment and basic recording equipment to more of our members so we can bring you more voices and more stories. Please help us support marginalized voices in podcasting today and become a patron at www.patreon.com slash whores to culture.
1: To support modern sex workers worldwide, please visit the Red Umbrella Fund at redumbrellafund.org.